what is wrong with the world? What I believe to be the answer and the solution, both in this episode. Welcome to the Anahata Singularity. Okay, we're now on episode four, and this is the big one. I really do recommend that you go back and listen to episodes one through three before listening to this one, because I use those first three to ease into this very episode. The concepts I'm going to drop in this one are heavy, and I don't want people getting lost. Up until this point, I've talked about quite a few things and have given parts of the solution that I feel will bring our world, our reality, back into balance, but I really haven't gone very deep into precisely what the problem is. Up until now, I've only alluded to it, and that's what I'm going to discuss in this episode. That, and add more to the solution and complete the package. This is where I'll attempt to bring it all together. Hopefully, after this episode, what I'm trying to say will be clear But for those who may still be a little lost afterwards, don't stress over it because I'll be returning to the same subjects over time, each time using different analogies and perspectives so that you'll have a solid understanding of the concepts that embody this work. These are not overly complicated ideas. It's just that it's information outside of what the average person is accustomed to consuming ordinarily. Just relax and listen. I promise I'll do everything everything in my power to package this all up so everyone can understand it. Again, just as a reminder, this podcast is intended for those who may have plateaued in their truth seeking, i.e. know all they need to know about all of the deception and are now in need of a solution. To me, these people are who I consider spiritually awakened. And if this podcast resonates with you, then that would be you. And what exactly am I talking about when I say spiritually awakened? Well, spiritual awakening is a term I've heard thrown around my entire life. Some attempted through religion, some through meditation, some through drugs. I've found all of these worthy enough only to be added to a very long list of distractions to keep everyone from discovering the ultimate truth. And it's through much exploration, research, and thought that I have come to the conclusion that there is a deeper, older and more far-reaching conspiracy here than most have ever considered up to this point. So much so that even the term spiritually awakened has been intentionally skewed. I mean, what picture comes to mind when someone uses the term spiritually awakened or the interchangeable word enlightenment? Yeah, we all see an image of a peaceful monk in meditation, bearing a look of peaceful bliss, obviously experiencing some sort of ecstasis. Well, that may very well be the end result, However, the real look of at least the early stages of enlightenment are anything but peaceful. And that's because the real definition of enlightenment, the true definition, is when a person's eyes are suddenly open to the world around them and they become aware that they have been deceived their entire life. It's upsetting. There's nothing beautiful about it. And if a person becomes too aware too quickly, it can be maddening. It's always been common knowledge among people who involve themselves in more advanced meditation practices that total enlightenment before a person is ready can and does result in that person going insane. Among these practices are Merkaba mysticism and its eastern counterpart Kundalini Yoga. 
In spite of those rumors, this isn't because energy rose up that practitioner's spine with such intensity that it shorted out their brain. What actually happened was that they became too aware of what they had previously believed unquestionable and way too fast. If you listened to episode three and heard my personal story, you can kind of get a glimpse into just how harrowing of an experience this can be. Imagine waking up one day and discovering that 100% of what's on television is a lie, historical events all come into serious doubt, the persona of some of the people around you suddenly falling away, discovering that time isn't linear at all, and all practically at the same moment. A less than stable person could very well crack. So if you've been involving yourself in truth-seeking, you are indeed seeking enlightenment, whether or not you are aware that's what you're actually doing. And I would strongly advise that you proceed with caution. Take it slow and a little at a time. We should all expect that all relentless seekers of truth should eventually reach the same conclusion, that our world has been intentionally engineered to be so full of distractions and deception that we're not likely to ever actually discover who we really are and what is really going on with our reality. Some will even discover that there are multiple levels and layers of distraction and deception that run so deep, few are committed enough or knowledgeable enough to even stumble across those discoveries. Now, in my opinion, that's all a good thing, but it never really reaches a final stage, now does it? And by that I mean a remedy, a fix, anything truly helpful at all. I think deep down we all want something tangible, something that we can use to change our world. And most of the people that I've talked to have just kind of given up and imply that they just like to get out of here and go to another place, a better place. How many times have you heard the word prison used to describe our reality? And how many productions entitled Escape from the Matrix have you encountered, each presented by someone who is obviously still stuck here themselves? And we'll circle back around to this prison thing shortly. That's a very important point that I'll be discussing later, so don't forget that. I'd like to state here that everything in this podcast is my own opinion based on years of study, research, and thought, and I've spent a great deal of my life attempting to answer the question, what is reality? However, everything here is pure conjecture on my part because none of us have all the answers. Maybe we never can. Anyone telling you that they have all the answers or that they have it all figured out is lying to you and possibly to themselves. What I believe to be true is what I believe to be true today. I'll admit that my theories have changed over the years. The core of what I believe, though, has always stayed the same, but the details have changed nonetheless. I suspect they'll continue to change and evolve in the coming years. There may be some things that I'm wrong about, or I may be wrong about everything. I will say this, though, every part of the solution that I've been proposing and will be adding to towards the end of this podcast are simple, and I can't see how any of it could have anything but positive effects on the world you exist in if you implement it into your own life. Now, I also have a caveat here, a concept of thought that I want to impress upon you before you listen any further. It's how I want you to look at the information that I'll be giving you. It's going to sound strange. In fact, I doubt anyone will have ever said this to you before. And I'm going to tell you a brief story that holds the key to the mindset that I want you to have while listening to this episode. A family member of my wife's was given some very bad news. 
11 years later, we discussed this event in her life, and she said to me, Do you know why things turned out so different for me than what was expected? Being a spiritual person myself, I smiled and said, I know what you're going to say, but I love hearing it. She said, When I got the news, I didn't receive it. Notice, and this is very important, that she didn't say, because I vowed to overcome that hardship, she said, I didn't receive it. And in case you're unfamiliar with that concept, to say I'm going to beat something is to first affirm its existence. In other words, you're essentially speaking it and believing it into existence, then deciding to destroy it. It's sort of like making an exact clone of yourself and then fighting with yourself to the death. To not receive it cancels the entire thing out and the idea can't get off the ground and enter this reality because it needs your belief to exist at all. Everything does. In this podcast, I'll be giving you what is essentially a diagnosis for humanity. And what I'm going to ask you to do is hear what I'm telling you, but refuse to receive any of it until I get to the solution. I'm actually asking you to reject everything I tell you up to the solution part of this podcast. My intent here is for you to collectively render every claim I make as untrue. So why even give the diagnosis at all then? And that's a very good question. What triumphant people do when given bad news is they immediately recognize that they could be thinking, eating, and behaving a whole lot better. The shitty news essentially gets them to improve their habits even though they refuse to receive the bad news. An athlete, for example, when told he or she is up against a new opponent that no one can beat, immediately begins to tighten the screws on their diet and thought process and begins to train even harder than they did before and then goes out to outperform that competitor. You dig? Okay, let's get to the meat and bones of this thing. All right, before we get started, we need a primer. And in this case, this is my conceptualization of what we're dealing with here. To do this, let's take a quick little dip into my own neo-Gnostic view of creation. There are variants of Gnosticism's creation story, of course, so I'm going to give my interpretation. And this is based off of Gnostic writings themselves, the book of Genesis, other biblical works, and my observations of the world I live in seen from a spiritual perspective. It's a compendium of all of those things. All right. At some point, an all-powerful intelligence decided to start creating something. And we'll refer to this all-powerful intelligence as the creator. This is actually plural, as in more than one creator, but we'll just use the singular word creator for the sake of simplicity. The creator's first creation was the embodiment of wisdom, a creation imbued with the creator's own wisdom. So these were, a.k.a. the wise ones. Problem is, they're just that, just information, no ability to create or do much of anything useful. So the creator's first attempt didn't work out so great. So it, so it sort of threw that one in the bin and thought it would give it another go, and so it tried again. The second one turned out pretty good. This creation was known as the living ones, because this creation was imbued with two of the Creator's most special powers, the ability to create and eternal life. 
The drawback with this second creation is that because of its goodness and innocence, it's maybe a little on the naive side. Now, these creations are represented as trees in the Bible. The first creation, the imperfect and limited one, is the tree of knowledge, whose ultimate fate is to fade away and it cannot replicate. It produces seedless fruit. This is the tree that the Creator said, if you eat of it, you will die. The second creation is represented by the tree of life, who are the eternal creators. Now, the first creation, being limited and jealous of the second, attempted to merge with the second. How it attempted to accomplish this was to dupe the second creation into partaking of what it is made of. It took a chance and rolled the dice and invited the second creation in, i.e. eat from the tree of knowledge, in spite of the creator warning them that this would be a very bad idea. Well, it didn't work out quite as the first creation planned, there was definitely a merger, but the first creation never got to benefit from the second creation's God powers in any real way. The second creation just ended up being a slave of sorts to the first. So let's stop here for a second and take a look at exactly what is so bad about the world the first creation represents. Duality. The metaphor used here to represent duality is the knowledge of good and evil. And just as a side note, I did go over the concept of good and evil pretty thoroughly in episodes two and three. So what does this supposed event have to do with our present situation? Well, as I mentioned in those two episodes, you can boil every last problem that we face in this realm down to one thing, duality. Everything here is something versus something else. I'm gay. Yeah, well, I'm straight. I'm a Steelers fan. Yeah, well, I'm a Dolphins fan. I'm a Democrat. Yeah, well, I'm a Republican. Black, white, rich, poor, young, old, love, hate, night, day, on and on and on and on, all the way down to the biggest duality of all, life, which ultimately ends in its polar opposite, death. Duality. And make no mistake about it, the first creation inundates us with its limited, though effective power continuously. Those powers being information, i.e. wisdom, and duality. I stated in the very first episode that this is not a spiritual war, and although that is true, information has been weaponized and is being used to manipulate us. And this has been going on long before the invention of the internet, television, radio, or even the printing press. All right, so the merger that happened actually created a third creation. That's us as we perceive ourselves in this realm. We're sort of an amalgamation or a composite of both creations, but since the merger happened the way that it did, our existence in this third world, if you will, is kind of fucked up and temporary. Had it went the other way around and the second creation had invited the first creation in, we'd likely be as powerful as the creator itself, but we wouldn't want that because the first creation is negative in nature and would turn every dimension into a hell-like environment just like it did this one. So at this point, the creator saw what happened and was pretty pissed off, knew exactly what the first creation had planned next, and so it decided to install some sort of a security system that would prohibit the second creation from being tricked into inviting the first creation in, thus imbuing the first creation with both creative power and eternal life. 
like it says in the story of creation in the book of Genesis, and the Lord God said, i.e. the creator, the man, i.e. the third creation, has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He, the first creation, now bound to the second, must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Basically, the Creator said to themselves, we can't let them get it right a second time around and become a major problem for us. So basically, the state of being a physical entity is an illusion, i.e. a trick perpetrated by the first creation. The first creation tricked the second into thinking it was something that it is not, and because the second creation believed it, it brought that illusion into existence via its creative powers. You see, Whatever we believe actually manifests, and we'll talk more about that later. That first creation uses any means available to keep us in the dark and invest a great amount of time, effort, and resources into constantly tricking us into creating the reality that we live in, the one they prefer us to live in, that is. Now, we still really have all the glory and power of what we truly are, We're just unaware of it because we've been fooled into thinking this is who we truly are. If you are a soulful human being, you are the fruit of the tree of life. You are. We've been misled into believing that the tree of life is some external thing guarded by an angel who stands at the gate of the Garden of Eden, but that's not true. We are the fruit of the tree of life. To find it, one need only to look within. The angel guarding the tree of life is a metaphor for the security system that was put into place to keep the first creation from taking any more advantage of the second one any more than it already has. I don't believe we would even be able to invite them in even if we wanted to at this point. Now, that doesn't stop them from trying, i.e. as far as our dysfunctional relationship with information goes, Besides being constantly subjected to one form of subliminal or another, we've been moved from writing to radio to television to internet, now from a device that sits on your hand to a device that's on your wrist, and even one that you can wear on your face that offers an augmented view of the world, to now RFID chipping. And the chip in the brain thing has been on the drawing board for a long time, It was announced not that long ago that one is ready to be rolled out very soon. The only thing left here is that we need to be tricked into wanting it. We're being slowly coerced into bringing the controllers of this realm, the wise ones, the first creation, closer and closer to the inside of our heads. That's what they want for us. That's the ultimate goal, to have the ability to control us directly. That way they can stop wasting so much time and effort trying to dupe us into creating for them all the time. It would be much easier to install a connection directly into the brain of every human and then send a signal to all of them simultaneously so that we'll create whatever they want, whenever they want it. That's why there's such a push for transhumanism. That's why you're being lied to and told that you live inside a computer simulation. If you believe you're already in one, you might not be so hesitant to merge with one, now would you? As I've stated before, it is true, this is an illusion, but I assure you, you do not live inside a computer simulation. That's a lie. So the concept in a nutshell is this. Each human is actually comprised of two entities, 
One controls the information and the other creates reality based off of that information. One, I suppose, could be considered deceptive and manipulative and the other more wholesome and pure. This could also be thought of as the subconscious and the superconscious mind. It's best thought of as a parasitic relationship because it is. One half of us is always trying to coerce the other half into maintaining the illusion of a physical reality. And things are shitty because the quality of reality you create is based entirely off of the quality of information you have to work with. And I think you all can agree that we're constantly being fed shit. If at this point you're doubting that you're actually two entities wrapped into one, do a little experiment for me. When you have an opportunity to be alone, sit or lie down to meditate. Simply attempt to quiet your thoughts. That's it. Nothing complicated. Just stop thinking completely. Spoiler alert, you're going to find out that's quite impossible. There's a part of you that never shuts the fuck up and you'll only find out that you have absolutely no control over it until you actually try. Most people have never tried. So exactly how are we used to create reality? Well, if you've listened to the first three episodes before listening to this one and have been taking notes, you'll know that it is done primarily through two catalysts. The first is belief, our belief in the information we are presented with and emotion, our emotional responses to the way information is delivered to us in this place. It's always presented to us in the language of duality, which always invokes some sort of intense response. That's how we're manipulated into creating for those controlling the information. I'll definitely be going over how to use this method to your own advantage in a later episode, but I think you get the idea for now. The controllers of our reality simply float ideas. They encourage us to focus on them. Then once we believe it to be true, then we are tricked into investing emotion into it. Then, and only then, does it become a part of what I call the system, a.k.a. the agreed-upon reality. Some might be more comfortable referring to it as the matrix. Whichever way is fine. So why? Why would one intelligence do that to another one? Because without us, they're nothing. Their existence is truly a hell. They're cut off completely from the Creator. They're only able to experience anything at all vicariously through the second creation, which is our true identity. Whereas we have a direct connection to the Creator and have the ability to create and experience anything we wish. If we want paradise, we just imagine it, believe it, and we then experience it. So why don't the wise ones just get us to create a perfect paradise and we both live happily ever after? Well, that's because the first creation is nothing more than self-contained information, and because of that, was imperfect and, and like I said, cut off from the Creator. And as a consequence of that isolation, it went mad. Trauma-induced insanity, specifically. It now only desires to control the second creation, somehow dupe it into fully merging with itself and become like God, and we have to be constantly kept in a state of fear and inferiority so that we'll desire what we're told we should desire. If we were to discover that we're already godlike, we'd obviously be pretty pissed that we've been mistreated for so long. We'd then discover that the controllers are actually the inferior ones, and we'd then usurp power over information and restore paradise. Well, that certainly is the aim of this podcast.
Again, in case you're having a tough time following, each of us consists of two entities. One could be perceived as good and the other not so good. Most of us waver on a daily basis between one having more control over the whole than the other. Sometimes we might be kind-hearted and other times we might flat out be an asshole. There are those of us who make a life choice to lean harder towards the good side. Those people are the ones who start to wake up to the truth about this place. Now, those who make a life choice to lean hard the other way, those people become everything from narcissists to psychopaths. When I talk about the controllers of this realm, what I'm actually referring to is both the controlling force that pervades this reality and also to the individuals who have given control over to that force and work for it in the physical. So, okay, so enough of the esoteric storytelling. So what's the problem in ordinary terms? All right, here it goes. You are a slave, and everything that your master has, it has it because you made that possible. The situation you're in is because you've been duped into building it. You were the one who cut the trees down and made the fields for you to work in. You plant the food and you harvest it. You built your master's house and your own. The plantation that you live on is there because all of your work. You feel you're stuck in this miserable existence because you've been told that's all you are and that's all you deserve. You've even been told it's one type of a prison or another. There are many ways the controllers of this realm, the wise ones, the demiurge, the archons, your slave master, keep us from discovering our true potential, who we really are, what they are. And this is accomplished starting in the unknown and trickling down to the known, where we find governments, law enforcement, churches, secret societies, historians, scientists, professors, and teachers, etc. And how is this done in a nutshell? Well, let's put it this way. If you were a slave owner, you would need to control all available information to keep your slaves exactly where you want them. First, you'd lie to them about who they are and where they come from and present it as their history. You'd tell them that they're actually pretty small and insignificant in the scheme of things and call that science. Just as a precaution, in case one or more of them ever starts thinking they might free themselves, you'd lie to them about what freedom actually is and give them a document like a constitution. What better insurance that your slave isn't going to escape other than preventing his or her ability to conceive of such a thing as true freedom? As a smart slave owner, you have to assume the possibility that all of your slaves aren't going to be as stupid or compliant as you would like them to be, so you would, over time, develop a complex and multi-layered environment built on hierarchy, rules, and consequences for breaking those rules, and you'd call that government law, and law enforcement. Basically, you'd wrap lies inside lies inside lies inside lies because, you see, first and foremost, you have to control perception. Once you do that, the entire game is yours. You would invent some made-up idea of what freedom is so that the rebellious ones only dream of that. You'd limit the amount of time they're even allowed to live so, so that they would never have enough time to make any real progress in figuring their situation out. You would give them plenty of things to keep them busy, like work, getting sick, or just straight-up survival, even hygiene. 
because you wouldn't want them having time to think about anything outside of what you would like them to think about. If you were particularly smart, you'd give them a nice healthy balance of good things and bad things just to give them hope, goals, and fear to keep them both going, but not too far. You'd give them something to believe in and train them to reject anything that contradicts that belief. You'd eventually divide them into camps or tribes based on appearance, give them different languages so they can't all collaborate, and only then encourage them to believe in different things, all the while maintaining that old practice of rejecting different ideas to add some chaos and some more confusion to the mix. You'd introduce the idea of a higher power into each tribe, each with a different name and claim of being the only true one, but all based on you, of course, and you'd call that religion. Relatively quickly, they'll all be pretty preoccupied with the us-versus-them mentality and nothing keeps one busier than war. Then you would introduce them to the idea of currency, which would instantly create a poor, rich paradigm, which would keep them busy figuring out how to rip each other off when in between moments of time where they're not trying to kill one another. And if you didn't think that was entertaining enough, you'd introduce them to substances that inebriate them so you can watch their stupid asses stagger around while trying to accomplish all of the above-mentioned things. Sound familiar? Well, it should. Now, instinctively, we want to put a name and a location on what we perceive as a threat. But believe it or not, it's not all that important. The Gnostics had names for all of these concepts, but to my knowledge, it didn't serve any real purpose. In my opinion, if you get too bogged down into details, you'll lose your way in speculation, and it's the details that have been killing progress and completion up to this point. You know your world's fucked up. It's time to try and fix it. It's that simple, really. But just to satisfy the eternally curious like myself, though, the true identity of the opposing force here is none other than a mirror image of the same entity. In truth, it's us doing this to us. It may very well be that the only duality here is that within our own selves. And caution should definitely be used here because pointing a finger is an instinctive way of finding an external culprit, which ultimately leads to re-immersion back into the illusion. I've said it before, and I'm going to keep repeating it. There's nothing outside of yourself. At the risk of making contradictory statements, I'd like to say, Make no mistake about it, those two sides of yourself are in conflict and are both capable of independent thoughts and intent. That being said, I believe the end goal here for them, i.e. the opposing force, is to implant every person in this world with a device that would put them in direct control of our thoughts and emotions and at some point have us all focus on the very same idea at the same exact time and create it for them. And create what exactly? Well, I believe it can only be one of two things. Either a way out of here for them, a portal or whatever, or else a way out of here and straight to the creator so they can overthrow the creator itself. The latter is alluded to in biblical works, Lucifer or the dragon attempting to overthrow God, and also in the story of the Tower of Babel where everyone spoke the same language and conspired to build something that would allow them to reach God with the intent to overthrow. It didn't work either of those times, so they're trying it again. If you believe that two or more people can get together and focus their intent on one thing and make that thing manifest, imagine if you had the ability to have billions to focus on the same thing. 
They do need our consent, though. And that's one of the things that I've not really mentioned, is that they can't physically force us to do anything. Consent or freedom of choice being a universal law that cannot be broken is something that you would be aware of if if you're even somewhat familiar with the Bible. Now, once they've gotten the consent of a good number of us, that's not to say that they don't have the ability to use those people to put the squeeze on the rest. Every shitty thing we have in our lives today was brought to us by that very same method. And as we all know, once they've got the consent and therefore control over a decent number of individuals, those individuals can be rather tenacious. Just look at the self-appointed enforcers of mass compliance at the very minute this episode is being recorded. Those fuckers are pure evil. Not on board with a shot of mystery liquid that promises to cure the common cold? Um, yeah, you might be rethinking your answer when not only will no one allow you into the store without proof you got it, but maybe the bank is also on board to deny you access to your bank account for lack of compliance. While swarms of freshly inoculated creatures of the system are out a hunting for nonconformists, don't think that shit can't happen. Okay, this is the part where I want you to say that's a pile of shit because soulful human beings are waking up by the millions every day and have already begun to regain control. Right? Don't receive it. Be that athlete I talked about earlier. In case you haven't read between the lines and picked up on what I'm saying here, reality is fluid, meaning anything can happen here. We're waking up to this, and now is the time to take the reins. Just like the information has previously had control over the creators, the creators have to now take control of the information. That, just so you know, is done through awareness. Okay, we are edging ever closer to the long-awaited solution. How in the hell do we get out of here? How in the fuck do we escape from this awful prison? Well, the first thing you have to come to grips with is that you are not in a prison. Let me repeat that. You are not in a prison. This conspiracy runs so deep that the inevitability of people awakening and getting this far has already been anticipated and a failsafe has been put into place. The failsafe works like this. A rational person is expected to now think, just like you are, I must have been in a prison all along then. I'm being held captive against my will. If I'm in a prison, then I must escape. I must awaken others and find a way out. This is what I like to call a truth trap. By that, I mean, making a discovery only to find misleading information has been appended. The lines of doubt and discovery are blurred to the point of having the answer right in front of you, but not being able to make heads or tails of it. A sort of not being able to see the forest for the trees kind of thing. Instead of getting caught in that trap, this is where you must actually realize that your perception of even a previously inconceivable prison without bars is in itself illusory. There is no prison. The controllers have been very successful in creating a control system to keep you distracted, but they have also carefully crafted the concept of a prison without bars to stop even those who get this far. Again, the truth is you're not in a prison. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. Now, if this whole concept isn't crazy or confusing enough for you, 
when you hear the bitter irony in all of this? That opposing force can't actually escape either. There's nowhere to escape to. It appears that they believe there is, just like you do, but they're just as wrong as you are. We're stuck with each other. The two trees in paradise that I told you about could more accurately be seen as a tree and its root system, the top and the bottom halves of the same thing. And yes, we are already in paradise. It's just been defiled. You've been given a mansion. It's just been trashed. Your job is not to try and move. There's nowhere to move to. Your job is to find all the squatters and throw them out and fix all the damage that they did so you can live in luxury. The only perception of control here is that the squatters have been duped into giving the pimps and drug dealers power here. But in the end, it's your mansion. You own it. They don't. You have all the power and control here. They do not. Get this concept cemented in your head before listening further. As I've already stated, the controllers of this system need you, but you don't need them in the same way that they need you. In spite of the evidence, you outnumber them and you are by magnitudes far more powerful, but it is imperative that you are aware of your place here and the knowledge of what you're up against and use that to your advantage. Everything in this reality, whether perceived as good or perceived as bad, is here because you believe in it. And let me pause here for a second and define what belief and faith actually are because this concept is going to be extremely important when it comes to implementing the solution. We have to talk about them specifically because people throw those terms around and really don't realize that they're bastardized versions of their original intended meaning. Let's go back to the Bible to explain this a little better. In the Bible, it says that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move, and it will move. The Greek word in this passage, pistis or piston, translated as faith, actually means knowing. Knowing, in spite of all evidence to the contrary. Knowing. The reference to the mustard seed implies pinpoint focus. So the verse should actually be read, If you say to this mountain, move, and you know with unwavering focus and in spite of all evidence pointing to the fact that you should not be able to move mountains, that mountain must move anyway. Yes, we're just that powerful. Knowing. Let's take another minute to drill down and fine-tune the definition of knowing. Now, this might be morbid, but it's the best comparison I can come up with to accurately describe knowing. I think it's best compared to the realization that you have after the death of a friend or a family member. You go through all the stages of grief, and finally you come to the realization that you will never again get a phone call from that person or a surprise visit. You will never be able to drop by their work and pick them up for lunch, ever again. You'll never be able to walk over to their house and ask them if you can borrow their weed whacker. That feeling, that realization, that inevitable coming to terms. Because you would never say, I doubt old Frank is ever going to be calling me again. I'm probably not going to be able to ask Frank if I can borrow his weed whacker next week. The people around you would be like, Of course not. He's fucking dead. What are you, stupid? That very same realization should be your goal here. Not belief as you've been taught, 
not your mom's Sunday morning faith, knowing. This, by the way, is how the controllers of this realm get you to create. Like I said earlier, reality is fluid, just potentiality. That is until they float an idea which is accomplished by having it spread in one way or another, word of mouth, books, the news, etc. You then pick it up and know it to be true. People do know that what they see on the news is 100% true, right? I mean, why else would they lie, right? Isn't that exactly what people ask you when you try to wake them up about something? I can't tell you how many times I've been asked, why would they lie about that? That person doesn't believe what they saw on the news. They know it to be true, and that's exactly why it is. So here's the solution, as complete as I can see it right now. We'll start with the parts given in episodes 1 through 3 just as a refresher, and we'll add to it with today's information. 1. Disengage as much as possible from your emotional response to what is going on around you. This will remove its power over you and, in turn, place that power under your control, which will give you an opportunity to spend your emotion on the reality that you want to create. 2. Make a conscious effort to be just a little better today than you were yesterday. Remember, small acts of kindness go a long way here. Also, replace hate and division with love and unity whenever and wherever you can. And if you're wondering how this could possibly hold any power at all, well, this will establish a strong heart connection in this place between soulful human beings. It is destiny that we be connected through the heart and become one. This is the singularity that this podcast is all about. You have to open your eyes to the fact that you are constantly being manipulated to hate and fear. Why do you think that is? The only thing you need to know is, is that a great deal of time, effort, and money is being invested in keeping you feeling that way. It's not all that difficult to come to the conclusion that there must be some kind of a secret and powerful force hidden inside love and compassion that you are being kept as far away from as possible. That fact alone should interest the hell out of you. 3. Train yourself to see polarity for what it truly is and attempt to find balance in between. Learn to observe it objectively and without prejudice. 4. See the world as a movie that is projecting out from you. When you come to parts of the movie that you dislike, go inward and figure out where those parts came from and change them. Towards the end of episode 2, I shared a personal story where I had a great deal of trouble with this concept. This is a tough one. Humans are habitual blamers. 5. Use knowing when coming to grips with the fact that everything in this realm, including your physical body, is an illusion, like a dream. I once had a deep conversation with a co-worker about this very same concept. He said to me, of course I'm real. I'm sitting here talking to you, aren't I? And I answered, what if I told you that last night I had a dream that we were having this very same conversation and you said the very same thing to me? So which one of you is the liar? Many are already doing this instinctively. I spoke at length in episode 3 about this being the reason why so many of us are now seeing just how ridiculous our reality is. A lot of people are actually. The great illusion is crumbling. 
not only are all the deceptions being uncovered, but we're also discovering many of those around us are not who we thought they were. By their very actions, we're seeing evidence that they were indeed placed here by the system as trustees or sheepdogs. And the fear of the loss of such an old system and the pure rage over that loss of control is being expressed through those individuals this very moment. They're now in a frenzy railing against anyone who has discovered their enslavement and is now rejecting it. The jig is up and they know it. You can't unring the proverbial bell. Too many have seen the bullshit now. Six, as I've already stated, the controllers use us by floating ideas and getting us to believe in them, which manifest them into reality. But you can do the very same thing. Did you know that? You want to see change? Simply turn to the person behind you and make a short and confident statement. Something matter of fact. Something simple like, no one believes that shit. That's it. It can be as simple as something like that. It will plant a seed in that mind. Because you said it with confidence and authority, it'll fester inside that validation-seeking empty teapot they call a skull. Rinse and repeat whenever you're around people. And don't misunderstand. Attempting to convince people isn't how the program works. I'm not talking about striking up debates with people. Be confident, keep it short and sweet, and quickly move on. 7. Write a statement that you repeat often to yourself. Make it short and to the point that soulful human beings like yourself are in control here. That the great deceiver's time is up. That people are waking up to the deception and mass. So that's it. That's the solution in seven pieces. Um, none of it is overly complicated. It, it's very easy to do. All of them are very easy to do. It's not anything out of the ordinary. It's nothing extraordinary or difficult to do or, or takes a lot of time. It's, it's all very simple. As a side note, the controllers of this realm are narcissistic in nature. Go and do some reading or watch a few videos on narcissists and how they're best dealt with. You'll see nothing but parallels with that and what you see going on around you. And I think it'll really make some connections in your mind about what's going on. All right. So just to wrap up this episode, um, there's probably a couple types of people here that have reached this point in this podcast. One that will reject the concept only because they're clinging to what they believe reality is already and not the reason that I want them to reject it. And that's understandable because as shitty as it might be, it's all they know or want to know. The other will understand what I'm saying and will reject the above description of reality and will change their habits and practices. It's all okay, though. Don't get too mixed up with waking people up because the latter that I spoke of, the ones who get this concept, they'll eventually break down reality to a point where it will be impossible for any soulful human being to fail to see their own power, their ability to create the world. This awakening is occurring as a chain reaction. It's okay. Everybody doesn't have to wake up at the same time. We've all heard humans being referred to as a virus before. Well, that's just the controllers of this realm talking shit through its minions. But we sort of are. But it can be used in a good way. 
We've been used to create and spread misery, but we can just as easily spread love. So make love go viral. Like I said before, you live in paradise already. It's just been overlaid with the illusion of misery that you have been duped into creating. Once you realize that you were the one with all the power and got duped into fucking everything up, you have to then realize that you also have the power to unfuck it. Do that. And I don't mean by forming clubs, groups, and organizations and shit like that either. That doesn't work. All you end up with is a bunch of splinter groups following some asshole like myself, disagreeing with all the other groups and spinning your fucking wheels. What they fear most is individuals running around everywhere spreading love, no longer buying into the illusion, and turning their most effective weapon on themselves. And that would be those who are still asleep, the ones to whom you float ideas for them to cement into reality. Each one of you out there somewhere acting as one small cut, participating in the biggest death of a thousand cuts in history, no clubs or organizations for them to infiltrate, spy on, and take control of. Just you, each one of you alone. In my opinion, the solution here is simple. Our destiny hangs in the narrow balance between belief and disbelief. True freedom also awaits us there. It's always been there. Turn inward and drive straight up the middle and reclaim it. It's yours. It always has been. See you in the next episode.